seriously popular. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com now the trial of the nhs nurse lucy letby is continuing at manchester crown court she wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for almost ten months. The prosecution and defence have finished outlining their cases and the jury have been deciding whether Lucy Letby is guilty or not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So Liz, the jury's now been out considering their verdicts for 11 days. Yes, today is their 11th day of deliberations. As we've said before, the judges told them they're under no pressure of time to make a decision. So we've got no idea how long they'll take. So all we can do, as we've said before, is to carry on waiting. Welcome to episode 48, Our Best Guests. As we've told you before in previous episodes, we won't do anything in this podcast to put the integrity of a fair trial at risk, which means while the jury are out deliberating, we can't discuss what's happened at court or recap any of the evidence that we've heard. So this week, we thought we'd do something a bit different. Over the past 47 episodes, we've interviewed some fantastic guests who've given us their fascinating insights into the courts, journalism and media law. And we've put together a compilation of some of our favourite moments, which we hope you enjoy. The first clip we're playing is from back in episode two, when we spoke to David Banks. He's the former court reporter and media law expert. He explained why sometimes the early reports from a trial and the headlines they generate 
may sometimes appear biased to the general public. And that's because the prosecution always goes first, so that's all journalists have to report on. The defence case comes along later, once the prosecution have presented their evidence, and it's up to journalists to make sure they report this as well, so we provide balanced and fair coverage to our readers and listeners. Here's what David had to say. The first days of, of a trial like this, or any big criminal trial, is all prosecution, and so that's all the media can report, and so the headlines reflect that. And it can seem that the media might be possibly taking sides or assuming guilt or anything like this, but if you read them carefully, they're always attributing what they're reporting to the prosecution, that this is an allegation being made, this is a prosecution case, and there will be an indication in there that this is a continuing trial. You do get that, that brief opening statement from the Defence Council sort of giving an indication of what they might be saying around the, around the evidence. But, you know, the jury and the public watching and listening and reading do have to wait sometimes, some, quite some time, until we get round to the defence case and any defence witnesses they might call and the other evidence that they might, they might bring to the court. One of the things um, in this case, David, which maybe you can explain whether this is unusual or not, is that the babies at the centre of these allegations are not going to be named. There are reporting restrictions, quite tight reporting restrictions on this case, aren't there at the moment? The fundamental principle of the courts here in this country is that we have what they call open justice, where everyone gets named, the defendant, the witnesses, lawyers, everyone involved in the case is named and the public get to see those names and they know who it is. But in some circumstances, the courts can order anonymity. You know, a typical one is that you know, victims of sexual offences are given legal, legal anonymity. It's unusual, though, to have adult witnesses in court granted anonymity. But in this case, an order has been made doing that because the, the view of the court and the, the judge in the case is that that will allow those uh, witnesses, to, their evidence will be better for the court if they are granted that anonymity. But what that means, though, is that the babies have to be given anonymity as well, because if the babies were named, then that would lead to the identification of their parents. And so it's an unusual situation. It's not unheard of, but it is quite unusual. And David, just tell us about the run-in that I think that you had when you were a younger reporter. It was a case, it was probably well, very early in my career, it was probably early 90s, I think. One particular piece of evidence that had come out was that the accused, the defendant, was alleged to have used a power drill in his attempt to dispose of the body of his victim. So I filed my report, and now at the time, this was the sort of late 80s, early 90s, days of sort of, you know, if you want to go and watch a film, you have to go to the video store and hire a video. And there was this phenomenon called video nasties. These were straight-to-video, cheap horror films that were being sold in, in uh, video stores. And one particular one was quite notorious. It was a video involving a murderer who used a power drill. And the name of the film was Driller Killer. Anyway, we had a fairly excitable news desk on the paper I was working for. And they, recalling this, decided they were going to grab the reader's attention by running the headline, Driller Killer Horror, on my report. So that went out that afternoon. And I went back to court and said, to my sort of dismay, the defence team are on their feet, waving a copy of my paper <laughs> to the judge complaining about this, this headline. And the judge then, at that awful moment, turns to the press bench and says, is the reporter from the evening leader for today? And like, all the press bench then turns straight to me. So I can't deny it. So I have, to, I have to confirm that, yes, I am. And the judge says, well, you better go and call your editor because I might want him to come 
court. I'm going to go and have a read of this. And the judge goes off to have a read of my paper. And I phone the desk and say, get ready, you might be going to court. Anyway, went back. The judge came back after having probably had a cup of tea and a biscuit and a read of my uh, report. <laughs> and he said, it was okay. he said it was all right. He said, because while the headline was, was a little bit lurid, the report underneath makes it clear what part the drill played in the evidence. And he said, furthermore, he said the jury have heard themselves what part the drill was meant to have played in the evidence so that they, would, they wouldn't be unduly influenced by this headline. So big sigh of relief from myself. and The editor probably, no doubt, happy not to have to come to court about that. And I think that's the key for any reporter, isn't it? That if you're writing a sentence and then you think, oh, this might be sensationalising it slightly, you have to think... What have the jury heard? And have the jury heard that? And that's the way you temper your reports all the time. That's my first rule. The next clip is really one of my favourites. We enjoyed talking to Julia Quensler so much back in episode six that we released a longer version of our chat with her as a special bonus episode. Julia is one of the best and most well-known court artists in the UK. So we were really pleased when she took some time away from her pastels to speak to us. Here's the clip. It's contempt of court in this country to sketch in court. It's a law that stood since 1925. The same contempt of court act, which says you cannot take a photograph in court, says you can't sketch in court. And it stood almost 100 years now. Prior to that, they did allow sketching and photography in court. So it's a combination of memorizing and written notes because I, I don't want to keep my head down writing. I like to, you know, look at the person or people that I'm drawing. It's important to not only get, hopefully, a, a good resemblance, but also body language, demeanor, all of that adds to it. So what do you write down? If it's someone I've never seen before, obviously I'm, I'm writing down features, hair, clothing, etc. But also I'm looking for the expression on the face, etc., etc. Uh, one time... 13 people entered the dock, one long, long line of defendants. Oh. And, uh, and this, that's they a, came that's in. called a multi-multi-hander, I think. <laughs> like, they, came in, they filed in at about 10.30, and uh, I had to have the drawing ready in time for the one o'clock news. So that one was a real challenge. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As well as featuring evidence from the trial, We've also spoken a lot on the podcast about how important court reporting is, especially for the pursuit of open justice. 
And no one is a bigger advocate of that than Tim Crook, a media law expert and professor of journalism at Goldsmiths University in London. In episode 7, he told us all about how he started his career as a court reporter at the most famous court in the land, at the Old Bailey in London. Well, it was the first major specialist job I had in journalism. In 1981, BBC Radio Scotland commissioned me to report every day of a spectacular and fascinating trial of an Oxford graduate with a working class background called Howard Mark, who specialised in smuggling cannabis into the United Kingdom, although clearly he was going to deny this. And at the end of it, he was acquitted. He uh, was the kingpin bringing in over £20 million of marijuana. Customs and excise interrupted the whole operation. Cannabis started washing ashore in the Western Isles. Poultry farmers used it as bedding for their chickens, and the hens <laughs> began to behave very strangely. Oh, my God. I was hooked day by day. First time I'd had the chance to report every minute of a trial. The chance to be in a courtroom and, and witness the drama was extraordinary, and I was completely drawn into it and committed. And I was enormously lucky because IRNLBC knew that I was there and they asked if I could file for them because I was only broadcasting to Scotland. And I said yes. And then when that trial finished, IRNLBC asked me to be their full time Old Bailey Central Criminal Court correspondent and, and also cover the Royal Courts of Justice and anything else legal. And I said yes. And for 16 years, that was my life. So well, It's arguably the best court in the land, the Old Bailey, isn't it? It's often the, where the most serious cases go. Absolutely. And it's remained so. And uh, I had the, again, the privilege to uh, report the most important cases, particularly terrorism. I mean, late 70s, 80s, early 90s, terrible terrorist crimes on the mainland, as well as what was going on in Northern Ireland. And then I would be there covering the trials of people responsible, including Patrick McGee, who nearly succeeded in destroying Margaret Thatcher and the entire British cabinet with the Grand Hotel Brighton bombing in 1984. And is there still an interest in like young reporters for being court reporters? Absolutely. When they have the chance to be in court and cover significant trials, they realise the importance they experience the drama and the intensity. One of the difficulties is that the industry is under a huge amount of pressure, has been for 20, 30 years, and there isn't the economy to support the number of specialist court reporters. Nowadays, news desks want reporters not just to file one story a day. And the problem with being a court reporter is you've got to listen really to all the evidence over the full day to take and make an accurate report of what's going on. In that sense, it's kind of an investment. It's, it's an expensive skill. It's an expensive skill and it's a quite brilliant demanding skill. It's a skill where there is no right to fail. And what you're doing with your podcast, what well, is unique and groundbreaking and all credit to you, historical and vitally important. Now, the next clip is from part two of our chat with experienced broadcaster Matt O'Donoghue. We've chosen it because it was really relevant at the time to what we were faced with when we started the podcast. And that was the difficulty of reporting on a really long running trial. Matt spoke to us about his experience of reporting on some really serious court cases. 
back in episode eight. The really difficult thing to do over a, a trial, particularly one like this, which is so expansive and that goes on for months. I mean, this is, what is it? Something like a six-month trial. I was thinking about what other cases I'd done that had gone on that long. And I, I did, I think, every day of a nine-month trial in Liverpool for, it was Joyce and Amos, the two gangsters who ran the Gooch crew in Manchester who were up for a murder. I mean, it was horrific. It was Tyrone Gilbert's wake, who was a victim of gang violence, who'd been shot. And then at that wake, people were out on the street drinking and they drove by and they shot at all the mourners and took another one out. And it was a massive trial. It went on for nine months. There were, I think, 10 co-accused. The the dock was full. And every day you're thinking, how can I maintain the interest in this? You're fighting against everything else that's on the agenda that day. And you want your story to be on because you're personally invested in it and you think it's important. Otherwise, you wouldn't have pitched to have been assigned to it in the first place. Any big court cases that spring to mind? Oh, God, there are loads that have really stuck with me. Yeah. Charlene Downs. That case is one that has and always will stick with me, not least because her parents I got to know particularly well. And they would call me up after their day in court and we would chat through stuff. The backdrop of it is a young girl who went missing in Blackpool and was never seen again. And the accused were two guys who ran a kebab shop opposite the drag club in Blackpool called Funny Girls. The contention from the prosecution was that Charlene had been murdered. She'd been groomed. She was part of a grooming network of uh, men who then used her and then something had happened. She'd been chopped up and basically the people who went for their kebabs on a Saturday night was the prosecution's contention had consumed Charlene without knowing it. And the details of that case were horrific. If you do this job properly, you empathise. And that's the only way that you can do it properly. Otherwise, you become an automaton and your copy has no soul and your broadcasts have no heart. In episode 11, we spoke to another seasoned court reporter, John Harris. He runs the main news agency in Manchester called Cavendish Press. And he's spent his entire career reporting on the goings on in courtrooms across the northwest of England. He shared some of his favourite stories and told us why his career in the courts has earned him the nickname Mr Justice Harris. My name's John Harris and I'm uh, the principal at Cavendish Press, which is a, a news agency which sources stories and pictures for various newspapers, websites, magazines, etc. The reason for the Mr Justice nickname is because <laughs> for many, many years our agency has covered primarily court cases, tribunals and inquests. And a lot of our podcast so far in the guests that we've had on has talked about why court cases now are maybe not covered as much as they used to be. But maybe that's not true. Maybe you're in there all the time with your teams and covering everything. It is true that many, many, in particular, magistrates' courts and uh, smaller crown courts were traditionally covered by solo freelancers. And they would cover cases for the local papers. They'd be on 
what's called retainer agreements where they get flat fees every month and that'll be for the local papers. Unfortunately, the retainer agreements were scrapped sort of in the late 90s, early noughties, which has since made it difficult for freelancers to exist in the courts. I mean, we still do the courts because we supply pictures as well, which does help when it comes to covering courts worthwhile. But sadly, those who don't do pictures will struggle and inevitably many freelancers have either retired or just given up because we're living on fees which were agreed in the 1980s. But you still every day have someone, don't you, at a magistrate's court yes. or yeah. a number of magistrates' court across the northwest. Yes. And you do get some great stories yes. every day well, from them. Well, when I first started out 30-odd years ago, my first boss always told me that the best stories are always in the magistrates' courts. And the reason for that is a lot of it just reflects real life. These are incidents which people relate to. The offbeat, the quirky, sometimes the very, very funny. You will get black comedy cases at the magistrate's court, which you might not necessarily get at the Crown Court. They're great courts to Mm. cover. When you're sending into those, are you sending with a specific story in mind because you've seen something on the list? You're not sending speculatively? No. It's always about targeting particular cases which I think are going to be interesting. There's one this morning that we're having a look at about uh, an 83-year-old man who's up for harassment and criminal damage to a neighbour's adjoining wall. So um, it's potentially quite interesting. He's 83, very unusual for an 83-year-old man to be before the court. He's accused of climbing over a fence and shouting abuse at his next-door neighbour. Tell us, I don't know, best magistrate's court story. It is still one from about 30 years ago. I was covering another case and I had to go and do a door knock on it. And what happened was that um, I went for a pint at this particular person's local pub afterwards and keeping um, up those journalist yes, traditions right. yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> glad to a, hear that it was a lovely little pub in Drax near Selby it was it was a, a real country pub hardly anybody in there and the landlord asked us who we were and uh, said who we were and what we were there for and he says oh you don't need to worry about that load of rubbish why don't you come to our court case and I was going and obviously I think yeah right okay here we go it was in the days of strict licensing laws and the landlord was up for um, serving people after hours What was interesting about it was that um, the police sent in three undercover officers to expose this thing. But what was more interesting was that all three officers got absolutely sloshed during this investigation, (laughs) one of whom was so drunk that he actually fell over whilst trying to, in effect, arrest this uh, landlord. And, And obviously we went to cover this case. All the officers gave evidence and they all had to admit drinking between five and eight pints of Old Bailey beer. Which is what they, they were serving Old Bailey, which is a very strong oh, brilliant. beer. brilliant. The, the famous headline in the Daily Mail being, uh, Passing Out Parade. Yeah, that was the <laughs> That was, without doubt, my favourite. That's it for episode 48. We hope you enjoy just some of those brilliant guest moments. Liz and I will be at court until the jury's decision is made and they announce their verdicts. We've no idea how long that'll take, but we'll bring it to you as soon as it happens. You can give us a rating and you can share the podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Lucy Letby Trial or follow me at Radio Caroline or send us an email at the trial of Lucy Letby at gmail.com. See you then.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. I'm coming to find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is everything I know about me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again, because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. Unashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah, I remember that being really stressful. Everything I Know About Me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.